1: Tom Bernard show with Andy Brant Bernard, Mike Bolina, Eric Rivenis, and
2: Ralph Basham, MD, the Hackmaster.
1: We will be right back. Hear the top three stories
3: Bradshaw and Brian. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family owned
1: business that started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer Way includes upfront, no haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three day return and 30 day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to Walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group. Walzer.com.
0: She is watching
1: by the poplars. <laughs> what is this all about the sea blue
4: eyes. It's, uh, Al Capone's favorite song. She is, watching is it really I did that. And long not this breaking. version, but yeah, the song.
1: Not this version, but the song. Where What's the it called?
4: Roses of Picardia.
1: Oh, I thought it was called the one who gave me syphilis. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's
2: enough that's enough tertiary syphilis humor. That's that's a cut it right yeah, there.
1: Ter- tertiary syphilis humor. We are in studio with Eric Ribinus. Uh, Dirty Doc Ames and the Scandal That Shook Minneapolis again on Thursday, April 12th, this Thursday at 7 p.m., book launch and author talk with Eric Rivenis. Mill City Museum, Minneapolis. And then on Sunday, April 22nd at 2 p.m., fireside chat with Eric Rivenis. Hennepin History Museum in Minneapolis. Just uh, RSVP by going to hennepinhistory.org. We've been going through the top ten uh most heinous things that have happened in the state of minnesota of course we'll, exactly. we're going to miss some of them but uh we've gone through seven we have the top three remaining three two and one eric is uh, eric is with us
0: yes sir well uh for number three i i chose i think every good minnesotan should should be familiar with this one this was the the northfield bank raid by the, oh, yeah, the jesse, jesse james. james younger gang right i mean that's that goes down in history i mean that was literally signaled, I mean, the end of the the James Younger gang. Um, And the James gang was uh, Jesse and Frank James, you know, out of Missouri, and uh, Cole, Jim, and Bob Younger, um, who had teamed together in a number of of, uh, heists. And they decided they wanted to come into Minnesota and and rob a union bank. (laughs) And it didn't go so well for them. So, um, yeah, that happened on September 7th of 1876. Um, they, they went into the town of, of Northfield. Um, and yeah, they, they attempted to, to rob the bank and the, and the, uh, teller, um, Oh, Hayward, Haywood, his name was Haywood, Joseph Lee Haywood. Uh, Mm he was the bookkeeper, I think. Um, they demanded that he open the safe. Um, he wouldn't do it and they shot him. And then what they, I think they didn't expect is that, that, the, the members of this sleepy little Northfield town would actually fight back. <laughs> so when gun, when the, the gunfire was, was heard um the other gang members were, you know, on their horses out in the, the street. Um, a whole bunch of citizens began, began firing at them and it just turned into a chaotic mess. Obviously they didn't get any money. They, they shot another guy named Nicholas Gustafson on the street and then they all just split, um, and uh, two, of the, two of the members, um, Charlie Pitts, Clell Miller, were, ended up um, being killed. Jesse and Frank escaped. And the, the younger brothers, all three of the younger brothers, were captured. And they were put into, um, they were sentenced to Stillwater Prison for life. And that's an interesting story, too, because um, one, of the, one of the brothers dies in prison, but the other two, including Cole Younger, actually get out in 1901, the summer of 1901, which is the same year that Doc Ames <laughs> is, is, is mayor, and Cole, Cole, Cole Younger gets out of prison, you know, this hardened, career-hardened criminal, although people say that he had, had, had reformed in, in prison, and Doc Ames offers him a job as a police detective on the police force and he refused unbelievable story he refused it of course well i don't know about it, of course but yeah he was anxious to get out of minnesota forever <laughs> he didn't want to see yeah anymore. i could see that yeah.
1: yes i could see that it makes sense
0: yep so that's number three um number two um is probably another story that that most every minnesotan knows and, and those are the the glensheen murders oh yeah so that that happened on june 27th of 1977 um uh, the the heiress uh, Elizabeth Congdon and her night nurse um, were discovered murdered in the glenching mansion in Duluth, and she she had been smothered with a pillowcase, and um, her her um, night nurse had been found in a the staircase. Um, um, she had been killed there, and that's that's a story that's a, a little a little more recent than some of the other ones, but I couldn't leave that out because it's just so ingrained. Now this ingrained.
1: Was this her niece's boyfriend or what was that all about?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, this was, um, this was her adopted daughter, uh, Marjorie Congdon, um, who supposedly oh, okay. planned adopted this daughter. along with her, her um, adopted daughter's husband, Roger Caldwell. So,
1: oh, that's right. Roger Caldwell. I had forgotten his name. Yeah. Yes.
0: And so supposedly Caldwell was the one she had sent him because she wasn't actually in Minnesota. She had an alibi, but she dispatched this guy, her, her husband, to Duluth to actually commit the murders and then, and then return. So yeah, yeah, that's an interesting story that just goes on and on and on and on because she, she constantly pops up in the papers. And she's, she's still alive, too, Marjorie Condon. Um, I think she's living in a nursing home in Arizona right now, but there's a lot more that goes on with that story after that. Um, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of other mysterious deaths, and her second husband, I, I believe, um, oh, what was that story? Um, she's, she's in prison for, I don't know, she, she was also an arsonist and, and let, let, uh, set all sorts of things on fire. She, she liked collecting insurance money. That was one of her big things. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and, and there's this story, and I, I apologize if I don't get it 100% right, because it's been a while since I've, I've, I've heard it, but she was in prison in Arizona, I believe, and um, she was married to um, her second or third husband. And they let her out of prison for, for a day to go visit her husband. And then her husband died the day she was let out of jail um oh he was yeah he died of uh carbon monoxide poison poisoning or something like that um
1: well that was a coincidence <laughs> sure
0: <laughs> those are those aren't the i am not exactly sure on that the facts on that it's some, something to that effect but yeah, um, they actually the History Theater in St. Paul actually did a has a, a musical based on the Glensheen murders, which is really amazing. Hopefully they'll they'll do that again next year. But if anyone wants to revisit that story, and the Glensheen Mansion is finally talking about the murders for the first time forever. For many many oh, really? years they they wouldn't they wouldn't allow any of their tour guides to talk about the murder of Elizabeth Congdon. That was taboo. They they were told not to talk about that. And I've heard that now finally. They're kind of, um, you know, capitalizing on that a little bit because there's just so much demand, so much interest. That's what people want to know when they go there. You know, where it happened, and et cetera, et cetera. So.
1: Yeah, no question. It, it, I've, have you ever been to Sheen Mansion?
0: I have. Yeah. They
1: do tours. Yeah, they do tours. It's pretty interesting. Oh, it's a pretty gorgeous. magnificent place, actually. Magnificent. And I guess they now let you into the bedroom.
0: Yeah. yeah, Exactly. Yeah, and they'll actually they'll actually yeah. talk a little bit about it. Yeah. I haven't been Amazing. there since they've they've opened that up, but I, I'm I'm eager to go. So, so so number one, um, this is this is this is this 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 last one is is is, is kind of hard to talk about because it's kind of a sore subject uh, for a lot of people now, uh, very sensitive, even 170 odd years later. But it was the the U.S. Dakota War of 1862. Um, a lot of people a lot of people died on both sides of this um did I, i'm sure you you've heard the story the dakota were starving the government had, had promised to pay them and, and hadn't mm-hmm. um refused to sell them food on credit um in fact the, one of the government traders um, named andrew myrick uh allegedly said let them eat grass or dong and in frustration no. the,
1: the,
0: the 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 dakota were, were starving um and in retaliation, a few of them began massacring settlers in the New Olm area, um, women and children included. But, um, I mean, with all of this, this, this tragedy, um, it, it, it's, it's un- unfortunately, um, we're, we're known as, the, as the, the state that had the largest mass execution in American history, which was the, the hanging of the 38 Dakota in Mankato.
1: Yeah, right, exactly.
0: So yeah to have that claim to fame the largest mass mass execution in American history I think makes this this one kind of rank up there towards the top and um, there was an internment camp below Fort Snelling where where a lot of um, Dakota women and children were you know died under really un, 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 unfortunate circumstances so
1: no there was a situation in the what used to be the or the big cherry and the spoon and I don't know what that was called the, the the sculpture garden I think in front of the Guthrie hadn't they erected like a hanging scaffold oh, there
0: yeah that was pretty um, recent i think yeah it was last and year pretty
1: recent yeah and they made them tear it down because of this very incident they said hey, we we you can't have that up there it's unbelievable
0: yeah there, there, but, are a, um, there are a lot of people in in southern minnesota still who are incredibly angry about about what had happened to them, and of course the, the Dakota, you know, are are, are equally as incensed. Uh, you know, so, yeah, it's still a really, really sensitive, touchy subject now.
1: Well, I could see that. You know, absolutely. How many people were executed?
0: Uh, 38. 38. And there were supposed 38 to... 38 people. There were supposed to be far more, but um, uh, President Lincoln commuted uh, uh, the sentences of, of many of them. So...
1: God, it was an amazing, amazing... See- you know, so... Uh, fascinating about that is you talk about the 1920 lynchings, uh, the Dakota, lar- uh, you said the largest execution in U.S. history. But we, uh, we as Minnesotans, and again, I was born in Minnesota, raised in Minnesota, came back to Minnesota after I had left to do some business elsewhere. But we love to kind of look past those stories and to point our fingers at states uh, in the South and go, oh, look, how- look at what they did. Right. Yeah, look at what we did, uh, you know. Yeah, it's look at true. What our, uh, my ancestors weren't here then. I, they, they were here in 1920, obviously, but not uh, – I think they got – my ancestors got here in 1886, I think that was the year. It's just uh, – if you look at the atrocities around the world, there's not one spot on earth that can say, "Well, we've never done anything like that because we all have – it's, I don't know if it's part of being a human being or it's the 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 dregs of of human uh, humanity across the globe but it's happened everywhere it continues to happen in a number of places and it's it's very very sad looking at it that way
0: yeah exactly yeah and in the case of the Duluth lynchings I think it was just based on fear you know just complete mm-hmm. fear um, but unfortunately they you know, justice wasn't ultimately served in that situation and and mob rule sometimes there there was another lynching of a of a guy by the name of uh, frank frank oh gosh in in minneapolis um in the late 1800s as well and he was accused of, of raping a little girl and he was he was strung up and there's a famous uh, photograph of him um hanging from a from a tree in front of the old minneapolis high school um Oh yeah, Frank, Frank McManus. His name was Frank McManus, and he was he was lynched by a mob. Um, but but it, it it sounded like looking at the the evidence there that he 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 was probably r- responsible for that crime. So yeah.
1: Oh, he was. Yeah. So they, they just well, so he had it coming, huh?
0: I think. <laughs> hey, yeah. That's around with little kids.
1: So you have it coming. That's all there is to it.
2: So mob violence is a little Machiavellian.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure i think Mm -hmm. the whole idea of mob mob violence and mob violence and bypassing the justice system disturbs people but um yeah i mean in 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 that situation i certainly don't you know condone anything like that but i I, you know i mean evidence does prove that he he was probably guilty in that particular instance but the duluth Duluth lynchings definitely not yeah yeah they were just picked out of a, a lineup yeah
1: Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Rivenis, Dirty Doc Ames, and the Scandal That Shook Minneapolis again on Thursday, April 12th at 7 p.m. Book launch and author talk with Eric Rivenis, the Mill City Museum in Minneapolis. And then on Sunday, April 22nd at 2 p.m., a fireside chat with Eric Rivenis, Hennepin History Museum. Also in Minneapolis, to RSVP, you can go to hennepinhistory.org. Eric was great having you in today it's oh. t- going over all those things some of them I remember as a little child just a couple of them obviously remember as a little child but I don't think a lot of people have heard about most of those incidents
0: probably in the not. state of Minnesota probably not and I, d- I do want to if you don't mind me plugging this I do have a, a podcast called most notorious where I interview authors about true crime subjects. and um, oh, some, I love some, it. Yeah, some of these are covered. I did talk, one, one of the episodes is about uh, the Duluth lynching. So if somebody wants to learn a little bit more about that, uh, in the Northfield Bank, raid, right, I did, I did an uh, episode on that too. So.
1: no, how, how do you find the podcast?
0: Uh, it's just called Most Notorious. Um, it's, it's, it's
1: called Most Notorious.
0: Most Notorious. Yeah, I think it's it's everywhere on iTunes, you know, Stitcher, TuneIn, etc. So.
1: All the rest of them. Spotify. Eric, great yeah. having you in. Uh, this stuff fascinates me. The history of humanity fascinates me. You've done a great job. Oh, thank you. I look forward to reading your book. I appreciate your time, and, and please come back.
0: Yeah, this was you great fun. F- thank you, sir.
1: Thank you. banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to the pure joy of hanging out on the dock. You, family, friends, and the calm of the water. If this sounds like heaven, you're going to want a Flow Dock. Flow Docks are rock solid with double bracing to eliminate side to side sway. And get this, you can install, level, and remove your Flow Dock without even getting into the water. You see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make right down to flow boat lifts that are quieter faster and effortless to install and use are you starting to see a pattern here flow is about making things easy meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake isn't that why you go there in the first place see for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983 see them at dot com. flow docks and lifts a better way this song it's a good song well that's pretty amazing stuff talking to eric ribbonis about all those things those ten uh the list of ten most notorious is the name of his podcast i that stuff fascinates me i'm really glad he came on i hope we can get him on a lot more because that stuff is th- doesn't it amaze you the things that people have done and people will continue to do uh it, th- to actually hang to kill three human beings over a rumor. Yep. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that unbelievable? Yeah, it, it's and that's
2: uh, yeah. It's, that that we have plenty of bad things that uh, everybody's done, and it's uh, usually that mob violence or mob mentality, and whether it's a mob of fifty in a town or a mob of uh, fifty million in a nation. I mean that it, this stuff goes on.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, it's. I don't know, it's situated, people, and and, and here's the thing that disturbs me about it. We talk about this uh, over the past uh, 150 years, something like that, I think um, 170 years we covered or whatever it was. But the way the press and Facebook and Twitter and all the rest of it will destroy people's lives, uh, is that, look, it doesn't match up to lynching, but is that uh, ethical?
2: No, it's not ethical, but it's, it's certainly there's a pattern there where these uh, the social media You're mob, right. uh, you know, uh, based on their uh, collective uh, thought process, you know, will try to uh, destroy somebody or, or certainly uh, ridicule them uh,
1: in the most severe way.
4: Well, speaking of getting destroyed, Zuckerberg's on the hill right now. Uh, they're grilling him. So good.
1: Oh, good, good for him because use people person pieces people's personal information to uh, line his own pockets. This is a guy by the wall, the way he went after everybody saying, oh, build a wall, what a horrible thing to do, build a wall. Then he tried to build a wall around his house in Hawaii, and they wouldn't (laughs) let him. Well, same thing with the Obamas. They they bitched about the wall, and then they built the wall around their house in Washington, D.C. I I just, look, uh, I don't bitch about the wall. I've I've got got a, uh, a fence and a gate in front of my house. So, hey, you do what you do, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's not holier than thou, but it's like, once you shut up, if you've got a wall, let's not complain about other people's walls, shall we? Right?
4: Yep. And the pontiff. Let's not forget the Vatican. Oh,
1: (laughs) that guy, too. Yeah. The wall. There's a 37-foot wall surrounding the Vatican. But he complained about building a wall. There already is a wall, by the way, in San Diego. It's been there for quite some time. Look, I'm not... Whatever. I don't want to get involved in any of the political stuff because I can't agree with anybody on any side. Uh, I just, I don't know. Do, do what you need to do. Whatever you need to do. What's going to happen is we're going to end up like Western Europe where people who actually show up for work every day are going to pay all the bills and then everybody else is going to sit around in their ass. That's what's going to happen. Yep. It's It's unfortunate. It's sad, but it's true. I've said this before. The sweet release of death will eventually come. I mean, human beings are, and I, you know, I include myself, we are deeply flawed. I'm sorry, but it's, we will do things to benefit ourselves, and we don't care who we harm. Isn't that amazing?
2: It is. We often disappoint. I mean, we we often disappoint each other in what we do or don't do. I mean, it's it's a shame. hmm So. Yeah, that. Yeah, I know what you're saying. You know, and there's and there's plenty of dirt to smear around. You know, as far as uh, you know, cultures go, you, know, you can't be pointing fingers. Hey, don't do that. Well, we did. Probably, we probably have done it or done it worse in many cases. So,
1: right. Oh, you're absolutely right about that. It's but, just, but hey, the, it is what it is.
2: The Dakota Wars. I mean, I didn't realize that there were there was, um, um, sort of, Native American violence. And white people violence, you know, in southwestern Minnesota. I mean, I didn't realize that had gone on uh, in the late right. uh, 19th century. That's that's interesting. It's just, you know, I just, I just thought it was all, I always pictured it out west because all the movies are out west. They're not right here.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got that right. Yeah. We're supposed to be all innocent in the five-state area. Well, that's not true, now, is it? Nope. Uh, I don't know. People do what people do. It's well, pretty amazing. And
2: Joseph Smith was uh, lynched uh, in Nauvoo, uh, in Nauvoo, Illinois. Nauvoo was in uh, Illinois. That's where he was lynched, and that's where the Mormons left uh, because left the religious uh, persecution there to go to Utah. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, you do what you do. So I don't know. It, it's interesting to hear about that stuff, but then then it does take its emotional toll on you, you kind of sitting there going really this is what we're doing this is what we've done in the past i just yeah what, <laughs> yeah what can one say this
2: is our legacy
1: yeah exactly it's 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 our yeah that's it that's exactly it it's our legacy and maybe we like to turn our heads and look the other way but i i just honestly it just but you go through periods i want i'm asking you guys this question this is for andy and ralph and mike do you go through periods when it just seems like everybody is trying to get everything they possibly can squeeze out of you uh, all at the same time, and it just wears you out? Yep.
0: Yes. Yeah.
2: Well, that's why I don't really uh, interact with a whole lot of people. Yeah, you don't, too. Do <laughs> <laughs> nope. Yeah, but Andy— don't have this problem. But Andy, you, 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 some of your friends, you know, you want to support your friends whenever they're going through rough times. I mean, that's, that's the same kind of thing. I, I have mean. F- one friend. You one? Come on, Andy. That's
1: one friend. Yep,
2: it's true. There you go. I've always had pr- pretty much one friend my whole life. I just pick someone and they're my friend for you know however many years. Seems to have worked well for me so far. Yeah. And and, and how do you how do you move how do you uh, get the new friend? How does the old friend uh, uh, destroy himself? Well, in the past, it was a lot of you know moving and growing up that kind of thing. Okay. It just you know that'll happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I suppose that is true. I suppose you're absolutely right about that. Uh, so, I mean, we could share. We should go back and look at uh, what is it, uh, Hulu and Henry, or what is the name of the dog and the cat? <laughs> oh, jerk? yeah, that's that, right. <laughs> that is the one thing about about doing shows like that. And I loved it. Believe me, I, I thought Eric did a wonderful job. But I, I just, uh, oh, it's Henry and Baloo, by the way. Henry and Baloo, dog and cat uh, travel companions, gain cult following, according to the BBC News, which is pretty cool. Uh, you know, it's a, it's it's a great story. Uh, you want to know? After that, uh, we we talked about uh, being strong and all the rest. But I can give you some tips on on how to be more hopeful after after talking about humanity at, at human beings at their worst. We all go through times when we see the world through cloudy colored glasses times when it's tempting to just climb into bed or bathtub and hide out maybe for up to a month fortunately for your loved ones your livelihood and your life we've gathered together eight tactics from ted speakers to cut through the fog so this is supposed to cheer you up after hearing about all that murder okay this would be good Shift your expectations. At times it can seem impossible to stay optimistic in the face of the day's headlines. However, you can gradually start to change your brain by leaning into what cognitive neuroscientist Tali Sharot calls optimism bias. Optimism bias. As she explains, optimism changes subjective reality. The way we expect the world to be changes the way we see it, but it also changes objective reality. It acts as a self-fulfilling prophecy. What this means, when you wake up and think it's going to be a blah day, you're helping set yourself up to just uh, have such a day. So the next time you catch yourself making a gloomy prediction, first congratulate yourself for noticing. Then think about a few things you can look forward to throughout the day. They needn't be big. Never discount the simple yet sublime pleasure of a hot shower, that first sip of coffee, or the first few notes of your favorite song. And you'll be training your brain to zoom in on positive events. So basically just think, instead of shift your expectations, just think positively. It's basically what that is. Recognize that you can change your life at any point. Well, can you really? Yeah. You think you can change your life at any point? I think so. I suppose. Uh, do you feel like it's hard to be uh, to look forward to the future because it all seems too predictable? Choice number one, resign yourself to the inevitable. And while you're at it, why not pick out the inscription for your tombstone? Choice number two, open yourself up to the possibilities that exist for everyone at every age. Consider Paul Tasner. He was shaken out of his daily grind when he was laid off at the age of 64 his entire adult life, he'd worked for others, but at the age of 66, he decided to become a first-time entrepreneur. Entrepreneur, uh, the Californian now makes his biodegradable packaging that helps combat the plastic pollution crisis, and says, uh, "I'm doing the most rewarding and meaningful work of my life right now." Yeah, I can understand that. That would that would be rewarding. I could see that.
2: Yeah, you can change. Uh, look for me. I'm sorry. You can change what? your you can change your life at any time. We didn't say that it's easy.
1: No, it's not no, an easy not process. Easy. Right. Look for meaning in the most challenging moments. Well, yes, that's pretty easy to do, looking for meaning in the most challenging moments. There's, yeah, that's what you would do automatically. Wouldn't that just be your first response Is to look for meaning?
2: Yes. Why did this yeah, happen? I
1: mean, that makes sense. Listen to another person's story. When you're feeling down, it can help to get you out of your own head. In 2003, David Isay, or Isay, Founded the New York City-based nonprofit StoryCorps to forge connections and honor real people's stories. Today, more than 100,000 people have recorded conversations with their loved ones. This week, make it a point to ask someone, a family member, friend, or even a stranger, to tell you a story about a meaningful time in their life. Yeah, so that's good. We like that. Return to your home base. Uh, Does your discouragement stem from being knocked down one too many times? Writer Elizabeth Gilbert knows what that's like. After the blockbuster success of her memoir, Eat, Pray, Love, she released another book and it bombed, she says. Uh, It was fine, she adds. Huh? I will always be safe from the random hurricanes of outcome as long as I never forget where I rightfully live, Gilbert says. That's because her home base is the act of writing itself. So that makes sense. Just a couple more. Add some wow to your world. It may seem wrong to stay cheerful in the face of the many big problems confronting us, such as wars and armed conflicts, climate change, and the continued incidence of serious diseases, to name a few. But rather than getting dragged down, you might want to look up, as in up at the sky. That's where drones are buzzing over Africa, to delivering blood and plasma to hard-to-reach rural populations. Robotics entrepreneur Keller Renato created zipline a system with battery operated devices that are providing emergency supplies to hospitals in rwanda so you know it's a nice thing remember the essential goodness of humanity that's the one i wanted to get to uh the eighth one is think about your death but i don't want to finish with that one i don't want to think you know it's not that i don't want to think about my own death like i said the sweet release of death so you know uh, but I wanted to finish with this one. Remember the essential goodness of humanity. On the day of the school shooting in Sandy Hook, Connecticut, Mary Latham couldn't take her eyes off the news. Then a co-worker came by her desk and told her what he just experienced in Starbucks. A kind stranger had bought a $100 gift card uh, and to lift people's spirits, he told the barista to use uh, to pay for the customers online. To use it for that. She told the story to her mother who was battling a second round of cancer. Her mom said, There's always going to be these horrible tragedies that happen in our lives and these terrible things, but there's always going to be more good out there. You just have to look for it. Do you think that's true? That you just have to look for it and you will find goodness?
2: Yeah, you have to if you have that optimistic outlook like the one person said, then you will see those things and, and it's out there. And 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 you and I truly believe there's more good than bad out there i mean if, when you hear oh, yeah when you hear about all the bad or the south chicago all the bad things the, the youth killing each other there but there are plenty of moms and dads that are just there trying to work trying to go to work have their job try to go to church you know they want to have a little vacation once a year very simple life. That's all they really want. This other stuff, and that's all good. Whereas this other stuff, the bad part is you just hear about it all the
1: time. Yeah, I, well, that's it. That's what the news is now, though. If you tune in the news, you're going to hear nothing but bad stuff.
2: Yeah, because I, I agree with you. More and more, the drug companies, I think they, they drive that, and they just want you like all worked up and uh, you know uh, anxious about what's going on in the world, and so say take a pill.
1: Yeah, well, that's that is it is. Uh, the evening news is owned by pharmaceutical companies. That is true.
2: What is, and they're they're even pushing IV chemotherapy drugs. Bizarre, just weird. What? Oh yeah. Oh, do you think this during yeah, the news? Yeah, during the news, I saw some chemotherapy drug that it's given IV, and I don't know whether. It, well, maybe this is good for your cancer. It just ask your doctor. Is the blue medicine? Is the blue liquid good for you? I mean, or, you know, it wasn't that? But I'm. But they said I tell you just ask the doc by a color of pill. I never get the color of the pill right. So.
1: Yeah. yeah, I could see that. Uh, that makes complete complete sense. To
2: well me, so. none of that would be a problem if uh, doctors went with their own knowledge instead of caving to patient demands so it, but it's it's so in, it's but, a symptom oh it is it, it's, not it, a uh, whatever but Andy you know people come you know I, I see it and they come in absolutely convinced that they want one thing. And until given informed consent, they yeah. change their mind. They go, "Oh, I didn't hear all that." Yeah, I know because you can't get all that information.
1: Hey, Mr. it's absolutely true. Our guest right. just called in, but we're going. Yeah, that's good. Cool. we will go to break. break and, and go to break and come back, and we'll talk to our guest right after this. Tom Bernard show. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutrimost weight loss plan. I've started up another round at the new Nutrimost Plymouth location, and those unwanted pounds are going fast. I've lost over thirty-four pounds. Nutramos is so easy, and they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutramos has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you, too. Nutramost to of Plymouth is hosting a second free informational dinner. Learn how to have success losing weight just like me. Neil Sheehy, Nutramost client and owner who played nine years in the NHL and is an agent to some of the NHL's current top players will be at the dinner, and so will I, actually. It's Monday, April 30th, 6 p.m. at Jake's City Grill in Plymouth, located around the corner from Nutrimost, just off Highway 55 and 494. Space is limited. Call 763-333-7337 to register. That's 763-333-7337. I'm here with my real estate agent, Chris Lindahl. And after seeing what he did for me, I asked if he had something that would help our listeners.
0: Chris, what do you got? We have something very special for KQ listeners. April 16th through the 18th, the Chris Lindall team is hosting our sellerworkshop.com series, where we're going to teach you how to net between thirty dollars to $60,000 more on your home sale. And the best part is it's absolutely free.
1: So that sounds great, Chris, but what's the catch?
0: Tom, here's what I'll share with you. The number one core value at the Crystal team is to be generous. I have a teaching degree, and this is my passion to educate homeowners in the Twin Cities on how to sell your house the right way so you don't end up leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the table going through the traditional real estate process. So go to sellerworkshop.com for times and locations and to sign up for your free ticket.
1: The Seller Workshops are happening April 16th through the 18th. Seating is limited and trust me, they sell out fast. Visit sellerworkshop.com or call 763 401
2: All kinds of shit out there. Here's the disease I'm most afraid of and I know I, I, mean, I pray I don't get this. Moderate to severe plaque psoriasis. <laughs> have you heard that phrase enough? I'm almost jealous I don't have it. I'm so interested in it. <laughs> you can't get a simple case of it. It has to be moderate to severe. If I come in with three red bumps on my nuts, you're going to send me away. I'm going <laughs> to.
1: He is unbelievable. He'll never change. Nope. <laughs> Nick DePaulo, ladies and gentlemen, is Robert with us? Yep. I am right here. Robert O'Neill, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Robert O'Neill was born and raised in Butte, Montana. That means, of course, there was evil Knievel, Awful Canawal, and the real O'Neill. Is that correct?
4: <laughs> you know, I've never heard it put that way. I'm surprised about the Awful Knafel thing. That part's real.
1: You know that the Awful Knafel thing is real. You know that, right?
4: No, it is, it is real because there, there's actually the jail that they both went to the same day. The ledger is in there now, and it's a uh, it's a museum. <laughs> Because when the Feds, the, the, the local cops were so corrupt, when the Feds got up there, they, they uh, declared it a dungeon. So they closed it down. But that's where they, <laughs> that's where Evil Knievel got his, I'm serious, he got his nickname up there because when they went in front of the judge, yep. they said, you know, whatever his first name was, Knafel, he goes, sorry, you're on awful Knafel. And the judge said, really, you're awful Knafel? He looked at Robert Knievel and said, you must be evil Knievel.
1: Awful Knafel and evil Knievel and the real O'Neill. now, ladies and gentlemen. Never face a judge, though. <laughs> so that's the good thing. Uh, yeah, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, Robert O'Neill, the operator, firing the shots that killed Osama bin Laden in my years as a SEAL team warrior, a stirringly evocative, thought-provoking, and often jaw-dropping account. The operator ranges across SEAL team operator Robert O'Neill's awe-inspiring 400 mission, 400 missions in your career, which included his involvement in attempts to rescue lone survivor Marcus Luttrell and abducted by Somali pirates Captain Richard Phillips, which culminated in those famous three shots that dispatched the world's most wanted terrorist, Osama bin Laden. Uh, I tell you, honest to God, Robert, when you tell that story, it's so fascinating. The, the look you get on your face, and I don't know if anybody's told you this before, because I've seen you tell the story on television, but the look you get on your face when you tell that, it's pretty interesting, because it doesn't change very much. Did you... Are you cognizant of that? Do you under, Do you realize that you don't really change your expression when you're talking about killing Osama Bin Laden?
4: No, I. I uh, that's actually the first time I've ever been told that. Uh, it, it's, and I think that that has to do with because um, I get asked about the movies Zero Dark Thirty quite a bit. And yeah. I say the you know one of the things they missed is that the the actors that play the Navy SEALs they never brought in the human element of the Last meal with your daughter without being able to tell her it's the last time you'll ever see her, or the last yeah. phone call with your father or your mother, and, and the hugs the guys give each other because this is a one way mission. And it was never a uh, hey, Rob, you're going to turn the corner on this floor and you'll see Bin Laden. We, we would, I mean, we would joke with each other about, you know, who you know, would he be in a slide that ended up in the alley and the guy with the machine gun got him. We joke with each other, but. I was just honored to be there. And I, you know, obviously I've thought about this a lot before, but there was never a chance that hell I was going to be the guy to pull the trigger. But just because of the, the the guys in front of me, the tactics that dictated which corner I turned, I, I was the one that ran into him face to face and the last one to see him alive, and I was able to shoot him three times.
1: That is unbelievable. Now, if I remember correctly, that you walked into the room and he, he then turned and looked at you. Is that correct?
4: Well, he was already, already sort of maneuvering, not necessarily running but maneuvering towards the door. I was in the door. He was sort of coming towards me with his hands on his uh wife's shoulders. So they were both facing me and he was it was really dark so he couldn't see me I don't think but he was sort of pushing her towards the noise and just it was he was only a matter of feet in front of me and he was about six four. She was obviously Five foot something, so it was a very easy two shots for me to take. After I did the identification, you know, he's he's taller than I thought, and skinnier, shorter beard. That's his nose. He's not surrendering. He's a threat. He's probably got a vest. I got to take him down, and that's just that. That was how the process went in maybe a second.
1: So this guy was so tough, he put his wife in front of him when he thought he may be shot.
4: Yeah, that's what he was doing, and it <laughs> appeared to me that he was pushing her towards me. I, I, he was definitely behind her. I, I, and again, I don't know what he was doing, what he was thinking. I just know what he was not doing. And he was—he had about a—he had about two seconds to convince me he was surrendering, and he didn't do that. And I considered him a threat. He was a very, very high threat target. That you know, not just a vest on himself, but we assumed the entire house would be rigged to explode sure. and kill all of us inside. So we had to do it quickly.
1: Yeah, it makes total sense to me. how, how is it that you were the guy? Because I would assume there were there were people going through the entire house. You just happened to be in the right place at the right time, or were you? That,
4: there was, that was, that was the, yeah. That was all. That was all it was. Because the, the original plan never came to fruition. We were going to my team was going to land on the rooftop, and he was on the third floor of that building. But because the first helicopter crashed in the front yard, we started on the outside, which put me in a position in the back of uh, the the line going in, which we would call a stack, and. We've been perfecting these tactics. These tactics were invented way, you know, in the Vietnam era. They were used in World War II, but we have perfected them up to this date. And so we've been working in a, what we call close quarters battle, or CQB. And it's basically based on how the first guy in front of you moves, dictates how you move based on covering his or her back. And just because the guy in front of me and the last set of stairs happened to go forward, there was a threat to the right, so I turned right. And that's what happened to be Bin Laden. It was it was a lot of luck, um, a lot of great training, and just great great men in front of me.
1: You know, it's amazing to me. The, what fascinates me about these things the most, uh, Osama bin Laden's dead. Good, good for him. He, no one deserved it more than he did. What was his wife's reaction once she realized that uh, old uh, Osama was dead?
4: She acted quite a bit like um, a lot of women had before in previous areas of operation, you, you know, Iraq or different parts of the world where it's uh, they're almost in a. Uh, they're in a state of quiet shock almost that someone's there in their house. We, we, it was It was very uncommon for us to go to house where there was only men. so she she had, she had already been injured, and she just sort of I, I was I actually brought her over to the I killed the lion at the foot of his bed. Mm-hmm. and I, so I brought her over to the the, the you're looking at, from the foot of the bed up to the right side of the bed. and their son, the two year- old son, was actually in there when I, I grabbed him and put her next to him. That's one of the things that we would do. Because I, I remember thinking as a father, this poor kid's gotten absolutely nothing to do, with, to do with this fight. I don't want to be afraid. Uh, so she she just kind of sat there with uh, the kid for a while, and then we brought in our uh, our Arabic-speaking Navy SEAL. And he did talk to her, and they were calm and we talked to uh, we talked to the wife and one of the daughters, and they were the ones that actually told us at first uh, that yeah, that's him. And what they called him was uh, Sheikh Osama. That's him. That's Sheikh right, Osama. Right. I mean, right. We didn't spell Sheikh, Yeah. So that you know they were, and then at the end, even when we left, we told them what we always said. You know, just keep it. all the women and children inside the house. Don't go outside the house. Somebody's watching you. Just stay in here until the people will get, will come here when the sun comes up. Just wait for them.
1: That's unbelievable. Um, So Osama bin Laden's dead. So you just left his body where it was. You knew he was dead. So you just left him where he was and told them to stay in the house.
4: until, until No, we, we, we put him in a body bag and brought him with us. We, oh, you did? did uh, okay, that's what I thought. Yeah, we, I, that's we, what did, I thought. we did a DNA test on him, and we put him in one helicopter, the DNA in the other, and then we flew off in different, sort of different routes so that we would have redundancy as proof. So we had pictures of both DNA in one, and the body in the DNA in the other.
1: Okay, so that's interesting. Uh, that just got my brain whirling another complete direction, like whatever happened. <laughs> what happened to his body? Do you know where his body is in <laughs> At this time, well, yeah,
4: we we, uh, we we had him famously buried in the uh, Persian Gulf off the deck of the USS USS Carl Vinson.
1: Oh yeah, you slid him off. The, he he was wrapped and then slid off the off the ship, right? It,
4: it, I was I was not there for, but uh, I know I know we handed him off to our army counterparts. They flew him out to the the carrier, and then the carrier had a. The story I heard is the had a terrier uh, had a Muslim chaplain, if you will, and they did a, a mm-hmm. burial at sea. I, was, I wasn't there to see that, so I can't confirm, but I know he went out that way, and I, I do know he I, You know, I, I've seen the coordinates where they dropped him.
1: I've talked to a, a few historians about this whole Osama bin Laden situation, why he did the things that he did and it seems uh, their opinion across the board is that daddy didn't pay enough attention to him and didn't show him enough love so therefore he had to he had to take out half the world i mean this was all about his father shunning him from what i understand
4: i you know i, I don't i don't know what led him to to be an extremist but in his mind what he wanted to do was be a jihadi for the wahhabist version of sunni islam which it does come from Saudi Arabia, and he is a Saudi.
0: Right. Uh, he, had
4: a, he had a he had a great life with that construction company. They were a rich, rich family. But something led him to be radicalized, and then he became a uh, he became almost a prophet to, to the jihadis because he gave up the life he lived in the caves. He fought the Russians and the jihad in, in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, obviously when we were helping him, and then once you know once Saddam invaded Kuwait and uh, was threatening Saudi Arabia, that's what. Bin Laden offered up his jihadi arm um, because he didn't want Americans in the Holy Land. and We did come to the Holy Land, and that's kind of when he declared the that jihad against the United States. Um, so there's a lot that went into it, but I mean, he was definitely a believer. He was definitely very, very religious, and his followers adored him.
1: How old were you, do you remember, when you realized you wanted to be a SEAL Team warrior?
4: Uh, I was 19 and I realized it pretty much the day that I signed the paper, there was never any, there was never going to be a military thing for me. I was, uh, I was playing college basketball and I had a bad relationship with a girl and I decided I had to leave <laughs> Duke, Montana. And oh, the easiest way, yeah, it's all, it's kind of funny that the majority of our all volunteer military is there because they got dumped by a boyfriend or a girlfriend or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much true. And a lot it? of the story, yes, yeah, I'm serious. And a lot of the stories are similar to mine, where you know, because I went to join the Marine Corps, but the Marine wasn't there, and the Navy guy was. He talked me into it. But I know got to join the Air Force because the Army guy wasn't there. And just on a whim, it's like, well, you know, they told me I can leave tomorrow, and you know, I didn't know how to swim when I joined the Navy to be a SEAL, and he talked me into it. And then I had about five months before I left to learn. And and you know, but then I, you know, I was, I was positive. I. I, at least I get to go to San Diego. I, I'll try SEAL training and see what it's like. If I don't make it, I probably won't. I'll, right. I'll go to a ship and see the world and go back to Butte, Montana in four years and sit at Metals Bank Bar and grill and tell stories. But uh, all I knew was I wouldn't quit. And that was a positive attitude, avoiding negativity and just realizing that the, I had an instructor when, I, when we got to tell me, you know, you're about to go to war for the first time and the enemy is all your doubts, all your fears, and everybody you know back home that told you you weren't good enough to do this. And it's like, if yeah, so I just keep doing that and think of them, he also said, don't quit and I'll quit tomorrow. <laughs> that's just emotion, quitting now. I just kept doing that meal to meal day by day and just proof that if you stay positive and keep your mind bright, you can do anything you want. It doesn't matter where you're from.
1: I think that's wonderful. I do have to read this. Robert O'Neill was born and raised in Butte, Montana, lived there for 19 years until he joined the Navy in 1996. Doesn't mention the dumped part. Uh, Deployed as a SEAL, more than a dozen times O'Neill participated in more than 400 combat missions across four different theaters of war. During his remarkable career, he was decorated more than 52 times. Among the honors he received were two silver stars, four bronze stars with valor, a Joint Service Commendation Medal with valor, three Presidential Unit Citations, and a Navy-Marine Corps Commendation with valor. Robert O'Neill helped co-found your Grateful Nation, an organization committed to transitioning special operations veterans into their next successful career. Uh, I do want to hear more about that. If you we only have a couple of minutes I know left, but sure. I would love to hear about your Grateful Nation.
4: I like I said before, I mentioned I joined the Navy just to do 4 years, I ended up doing 16 and a half, not quite 20, which is what you need to to get a pension and a retirement. Mm -hmm. And so when I decided to leave, it was kind of scary because I'm like, oh, wow, I don't have a degree. I don't have a pension. I have kids to feed. What do I do? Um, Through mentorship, I realized that I had a lot of skills. I learned in the military, team building, stress management, problem solving, loyalty uh, that employers wanted. And so I was fortunate to meet companies that wanted to hire me for different things. Then I started to realize that a lot of special operations vets have been at war so long, they don't want to do 20 either. So we started yourgratefulnation.org and we tell the veterans first they have those skills, find out where they want to live and what industry. We find a leader in that industry, make the introduction, they send someone to mentor them for, you know, six, eight, nine months, and then they hire them to manage major pro- uh, projects. And it's, uh, the best, best email I get every day or every week is when my, uh, the, the operation of T- Your Grateful Nation, who happens to be a Green Beret colonel, which is awesome to have running the show, um, he just, you know, when he says, yeah, we just transitioned so-and-so, here's a note from his wife saying, we couldn't have gotten a second career without your Grateful Nation. It, you know, it keeps the life and keeps the food on. Then they realize, actually, you know, wow, the, uh, there there are people out there that want to pay us for skills we have. And it turns out we get, you can get paid more in the private sector than from the Army. It's, it's pretty, pretty incredible. I think it's wonderful. So That's you know, yourgratefulnation.org. And we just need awareness, obviously funding, but there's people out there that want to hire people they normally don't have access to, by all means. And and it started off as a let's help the veterans it's turned into a let's help your company.
1: Yeah, that makes total sense to me, complete sense to me. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, Butte, Montana, known for evil can evil, awful can awful, the real O'Neill, and now your Grateful Nation. (laughs) You can find Robert O'Neill at com. Robert, thank you for your service, uh, your bravery, all of it. Thank you for your grateful nation and your commitment to helping special ops veterans into their next successful career. Wonderful talking to you, sir, and I hope we talk again very, very soon. Terrific Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Have I a good day. It. Robert O'Neill, ladies and gentlemen, the operator. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tom Bernard, you.